Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the last week of this series called Unraveling. Like so many of our series, by the way, it's a series that starts with a story. About a time that Jesus walked into this little town called Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. There was a really good friend of his named Lazarus who was dead. In, In fact, not only was Lazarus dead, he had been dead and buried for four days by the time that Jesus arrived. And then we see that Lazarus has an encounter with Jesus, and he goes from dead and buried to alive and well. And I want to stop there just for a second, and I want to tell you, it's so interesting to me that we are here together on Father's Day. Do you know that Christianity is the only worldview, it's the only religion, it's the only thought system in human history that refers to God as our heavenly Father? I've had people tell me before that the Bible is God's love letter to his children. And for me, that always sounded kind of odd, but as I get older, I'm getting it more and more. Like, God knows you. You are his child, and he loves you unconditionally. And and the Bible is his letter to you that you might get to know him better. And as you get to know him better, you're going to actually get to know you better. Let me put that a different way. Because maybe you're here for Father's Day and and you came because your kids invited you. Or or you came because your father on Father's Day uh, invited you to come. And it's your first time in church or it's your first time in a long time. It might seem odd to you that we study stories out of the Bible. Because in some ways you might look at the Bible and go, it's like a dusty old volume that's kind of a history book that's sitting on the shelf. Kind of like studying the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, and you're like, man, I left that behind me when I left school. That's the last thing I want to do right now. But I want to tell you that the, the history book is a book of information. The Bible actually claims to be a book of transformation. That, that, that as we get to know God better, we'll get to know ourselves better, and that'll actually change us. So when we, when we look at stories out of the Bible, we've got to remember that every, every story that's in there is in there for a reason. Specifically in the story that we're talking about right now, we've got to understand that Everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said, he did and said for a reason. In fact, he did things the way that he did them. He said things the way that he said them for a very specific reason. And so we're in this story about Lazarus. And I want to suggest to you that what God wants you to know today as we close this series off is this. You are Lazarus. That as you have an encounter with Jesus, as I have an encounter with Jesus, he calls us to more life, to to be more fully, completely alive than we've ever been, to be more fully, completely ourselves, the the selves that we were created to be than we've ever been before. And so a couple weeks ago, we read the story of how Jesus walked into Bethany, and he saw Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, and they were were crying, they were brokenhearted, and Jesus looked around, and he saw the friends and family of Lazarus, and they were in mourning. They were devastated. And John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible says, as Jesus looked around and saw everything that was going on, all the devastation and all the heartbreak, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. And it's so important to me that as we leave this series, you would remember that in that moment, John eleven thirty five 35 moment, Jesus didn't weep because he was sad. He didn't weep because he was demoralized. He didn't weep because he was discouraged. He wept because he was angry. He was angry at darkness. He was angry at devastation. He was angry at death. So angry, in fact, that he was about to do something about it. So he goes over to the tomb where Lazarus was laid. 
He says, roll the stone away. And in the King James Version, Martha says, but Lord, by this time he stinketh. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. Anyways, John eleven forty. Let's pick up the story. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Hmm. You ever hear the expression, Father Time is undefeated? We don't like that, do we? Father Time is undefeated. That's why when we're watching sports and there's this guy that used to be an awesome player or a lady who used to be awesome at her sport, and, but now they're a little older, they're a little past their prime, and, and we see them get a little bit slower, but we don't want them to, you know, but Father Time is undefeated. Well, I would suggest to you also that there is a bug flying around in my face right now. <laughs> and I really want to get it, but I can't get it. Does anyone have a fly swatter? Okay, well, we'll... I'm not ADD, which is, yeah, I am. Okay, so here we go. I would suggest to you, however, that the grave is also undefeated. That until Jesus stepped into human history, the grave was undefeated. Like the road to the grave is kind of a one-way street. There is no return ticket from the grave. Until Jesus showed up at the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out. And he called for a U-turn and Lazarus came out. And Jesus defied death that day. But there's something I need you to know as we leave this series behind. I need you to remember this. That as Jesus defied death that day, he faced death face to face. He looked, stared death down. He not only defied death, but he had a message for death. And he said, I'm going to see you again real soon. I'm going to see you again real soon. Because just days after he resurrected Lazarus, Jesus himself was arrested. Jesus himself was beaten and nailed to a Roman cross where he died and then he rose again. And when Jesus stepped out of the empty tomb, he didn't just defy death, he defeated it. And not just for one person, but for all people. The Bible says death still happens, but it's lost its sting. We don't face death, we face the shadow of death now. Reminds me of story of a, a, a young man married with two little daughters five year five years old and seven years old and suddenly his wife gets ill and before you know it she's actually died and this young father finds himself in a place that he never imagined being he's driving on the highway on the way back from his wife's funeral with his five-year-old and his seven-year-old and he's trying to think to himself how how am i supposed to bring them hope what am I supposed to say? Like his wife was a Christian and he knew that she was in heaven, but really, she's not here and she never will be here again on this side of eternity. What am I supposed to say to my kids? And just as he's thinking that, there's a semi-truck coming on the other side of the divided highway. And it just so happens that that semi-truck crosses between the sun and his vehicle and the shadow passes over their car. He says, girls, would you rather face that semi-truck head-on, or would you rather face the shadow head-on? And they say, the shadow. He said, here's what you got to know about Jesus. Jesus came into our world, and he faced death head-on, so that all we ever have to face is the shadow. 
And so your mummy right now is more completely alive than you could ever imagine, and you're going to see her again. Please don't forget this. In that moment when Jesus defied death and called Lazarus out of the tomb, he, he, he looked death down and he said, I'll see you again real soon. And when Jesus stepped out of the empty tomb, he defeated death, not for one person, but for all people. The story continues. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Okay, but what if he had said no? You know, what, if, what if Lazarus had said, no, I'm good. I, I, I like the grave clothes. They're just, I'm, they're comfy. You know, I, I enjoy that. That, that. that would be weird, right? Can I tell you something? If you're a Christian here today, what, what, I, what I mean by Christian is I mean that you came to a point in your life when you said, I can't save myself. Jesus, I need you. I, ne- I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. I need a fresh start hope for tomorrow and the, and, and, and the promise of eternity. If you've come, if you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, I have one last question for you when it comes to this series. Here it is. Are you dragging grave clothes around with you? Because here's what I know about you if you're Christian. Your eternity is secure, but your life is still in doubt. Your, your eternity is secure, but you could still squander your life. You could spend your whole life dragging those grave clothes around with you. So imagine if Lazarus had done that. He would never have been fully, completely alive because he would have been carrying these stinky, decomposing, smelly grave clothes around with him wherever he went. And he never would have been fully, completely himself because he would have looked like a mummy. I'll tell you this. If you're a Christian, your eternity is secure. But if you choose to, you can spend the rest of your life dragging grave clothes around with you. It's up to you. You pick. You can squander your life if you want to. There's this first century preacher named Paul who said it this way in Romans 8. He said, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. I talk about this all the time, but, but, but I get worried that things become catchphrases. L- life is lived from the inside out. You were created in the image of God. You were formed for greatness. And, 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 and God's plan for you is that he would speak directly to your soul. You are a soul that he would change you from the inside out, that you would live from the inside out. See, I, I, I know this about you, that your best chapters are yet to be written. Your best sermons are yet to be preached. Your best ideas are, are, are yet to happen. Your, your, your best moments, your best dreams are still ahead of you. But we must understand that so many of us are living from the outside in. We're living as if this world is all there is. That, 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 that the physical or the mental. You know what? You have a body. Great. You're more than a body. You have a mind. Awesome. You are more than a mind. you got to choose. If you spend your whole life losing sight of the unseen, what happens is you drag grave clothes around with you. Wherever you go, you squander your life. Your eternity is secure, but you've squandered your life.
Paul goes deeper into it here in Galatians 5. He defines it. He says, the acts of the flesh, when you live as if outside in it, when you live as if this world is all there is, when you live and you lose sight of the unseen, this is what it looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What if God loved you? Like, what if he's not a cosmic killjoy? Like, what, 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 if, what if he's actually your loving heavenly father here on Father's Day? And he's not trying to wreck your fun. See, th- 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 this list that God inspired Paul to write isn't a, isn't a list for, of arbitrary rules that, that, that God's saying, don't do these things or I'm going to get you. He says, hey, you want to know what life dragging grave clothes around with you? You want to know what a squandered life looks like? That's it. He kind of breaks it down into you want, like, to, the, the four areas that your gra- grave clothes are going to manifest themselves are here in your sexuality, in your worship, in your relationships, in your circles. You, you want to know if you're squandering your life. You want to know if you're dragging a decomposing grave clothes around with you wherever you go. You look in f- those four areas. Like, what if God's really for you? What if God wants you to be fully, completely, and totally alive, fully, completely, totally yourself, the you that you were meant to be? What if he's not trying to wreck your fun? When I was a kid, I used to think that my parents loved to wreck my fun. In fact, I, I was pretty convinced that my mom's, like, number one goal in life was to wreck all my fun. She had all these stupid rules, you know? Like, one of the rules she had was this. She said, don't play outside with bare feet. I, like, she's... I hated that rule. She's just wrecking my fun. We, we, we lived out in the country uh, near Red Deer, Alberta, and she would just say, you can't, you know, you, you, you got to put shoes on. I hated, I was hyper. It felt like it took seven hours to put my shoes on. I hated that. So I would like, I made it a game to get outside without putting my shoes on, man. That was a, like my dream in life. I could go outside and, and be free, you know, be free and run around with bare feet. And so one day I got outside, um, no shoes, and my buddy Grant King and me, uh, we built this bike ramp. Awesome. And so the bike ramp, we set it up just like this on the edge of a ditch. Okay, so we would go off the, the ramp and then get extra air and land in the ditch. Okay, so I was riding my bike off this ramp with my bare feet. And, my, and, and I went off the ramp and my foot slipped off the pedal and it got jammed between the front tire and the fender, which was not really a big problem until I landed. And, and, and the tire turned and it ripped my big toe three quarters off. And I was actually talking to my mom about this the other day. I said, man, you sure weren't very sympathetic when I did that. And she, she hit me, to be honest. But, 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 but the thing is, what if, what if God loves you? What if he's not trying to wreck your fun? What, what, what if he's saying, man, I, I want you to live. Like, I don't want you to squander your life, man. I want you to live. I want you to be you, more you, more life than you've ever had before. And if you want to see if you're dragging grave clothes around with you, here's how you'll see it. Number one, you'll see it in your sexuality. So God created people, (laughs) and God created sex. It's his idea. God loves people, and he gave us sex as a gift. 
I think it's kind of important to note, you know, because it's not like God created Adam and Eve, put him in the Garden of Eden, came back seven hours later and was like, What's wrong with you two? You know? No, like on the contrary, God said, be fruitful and multiply. And millions of happy couples since that day have said, Roger that. Okay? So, <laughs> the thank you, by the way. I said that first service, they all stared at me, okay? Uh, <laughs> sex is God's gift. It's like, it's, it's, it's babies. <laughs> but it's also pleasure and strength and unity in a relationship. But it's interesting because, again, what, what if God loved you? And, and what if he gave you that gift? You remember how you bought me a chainsaw for Christmas? Thank you. And that chainsaw is powerful and effective, right? And what if I came to you and I said, man, I can't thank you enough for the chainsaw. You're so good to me. I'm going to use it to cut my hair. It's going to be great. <laughs> and you said to me, Mike, I don't think you should use the chainsaw to, to cut your hair. And what if I said, how dare you tell me how to use this gift that you've given me? That would be odd, wouldn't it? You, you want to know if you're dragging grave clothes around with you? You want to know if you've lost sight of the unseen? Look in your sexuality. Be because here's what happens. Um sex if you try hard enough you can make it into just something that's just physical but then what you're doing is you're forgetting that sex is a whole life like body soul mind it's a whole life connection meant for a whole life commitment that god created called marriage it would be weird right if you you know like god created sex for people but sometimes we can live as if god created people for sex It's almost like we're celebrating the gift, but not the giver of the gift. Which brings me to the second place, that if you want to see if you're dragging grave clothes around with you, you want to see if you're squandering your life, look in your worship. What do you live for? What are you living for? Because we all have a big why behind all of our what's, don't we? We all have a central pursuit. We all have a place that we turn to for hope and, and uh, a place that we put our trust in, you know? What is that for you? What the Bible says is the Bible says you, you were created in the image of God to worship him, to make him the biggest why behind your what, to make him the central pursuit of your life. And if you do, you'll find freedom. You'll live like the grave clothes will be left behind you. But if you choose to, you can squander your life by finding something else to worship. You know, so, so you look at sex and, 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 and God created sex for people, but you can live as if God created people for sex and, 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 and then it becomes a bondage. Like money is a gift from God. The Bible says that uh, it, it, it's the Lord who gave you the, the ability to create wealth. But what if you started making money your central pursuit? Or you'd be in bondage. Influence is a gift from God. And it's, it's great to have influence, right? To have a few people that, that look to you and you can inspire them to do great things. But what if you started making the approval of people the, 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 the central pursuit of your life? Because I've been there. That's one of the biggest temptations of my life. Or, or, or over the past decades of my life is to all of a sudden live with, with the approval of you and the approval of you and the approval of you as my central pursuit. You ever been there? When I was 37 years old, 
so last year then. Um, so when I was 30, <laughs> when I was 37 years old, this was my life. I was a history teacher. In, in fact, at 37 years old, I had just, um, for the last two years in a row up to that point, um, back when every single History 12 student in BC had to take the provincial exam, um, my class, my History 12 class, had received the top uh, uh, exam average on the provincial exam out of all the classes in, in BC. So in some ways, I was considered to be the best history teacher in BC. And, 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 and when I was 37 years old, for the last three years, I had been uh, heading up the secondary school in this little private school where I worked. And, and, and that year, the Fraser Institute had just named our high school as the top academic school in the Fraser Valley. Now, I was also a basketball coach. When I was 37 years old, I had just come off a year where uh, we had won the provincial championship, and the following year, I had been named the provincial basketball coach of the year. Now, I tell you all that stuff to brag, but also, no, I don't actually. I, no, no, listen to me. This is why I tell you, because in that moment, in that little tiny world, in that little tiny world of academics and athletics, people approved of me. I, I guess I was kind of, a, kind of a little big deal in that one little world. And then at 37 years old, I felt God calling me to, to come transition into the role of a 37, 38-year-old youth pastor at this church. And I'm not diminishing that, but in that moment, uh, I was receiving a lot of approval from a lot of people teaching history, running the school, and, uh, and, 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 and coaching basketball. And so a lot of those same people said to me, that would be insane. My mom and dad said to me, that would be insane, don't do it. But my same mom and dad had given me a Bible in Christmas of 1987. And in that Bible, on that Bible, on the cover, it said Michael J. Manis. I'm not telling you my middle name. So Michael J. Manis. And then under that, it said Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. I knew that he was calling me to do this different thing. So you say, well, Mike, would it have really been that big of a deal if, uh, if you had chosen instead just to stay where people were cheering you on and approving you in that one little area? Maybe not, but I think what happens, you start down this road where next thing you know, you're living for the approval of people and it keeps you in bondage because you can't please everybody. Does that make sense? What if God loves you? <laughs> what if he's a good good heavenly father well he'd want you to be fully completely and totally alive wouldn't he fully completely totally yourself and, and he wouldn't want you to spend your whole life dragging grave clothes around with you so he says look at you you, you want to know where you'll see the grave clothes manifest themselves number one you'll see it in your sexuality you'll see it in your worship you'll also see it in your relationships paul goes through this list hatred discord slander jealousy Basically, you can, you can summarize uh, Paul's relational list with one word, hate. And you know, I, I could stand up here right now and I could tell you, it's not nice to be mean. It's not nice to hate people. It's not nice to do that, you know? Like, unsaying un a gossipy word is kind of like unringing a bell. It's really mean. I don't think that's the primary point of this passage. Because here's the deal. You know who hateful people hate the most? themselves you know who angry people are most angry with 
themselves. And so what happens is, you, is if you live in this, you're dragging these grave clothes around with you, and you live in your own negativity, and you live in your own filth. God says, I really love you. I, 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 I want to see you do more. I want to see you really, really, really live. But you're dragging grave clothes around with you. And the fourth area you're going to see, you're just going to see it in your circles. And what I mean by circles, you're all probably wondering what I meant. Social circles. Your crew. Your group. People you spend time with. Have you ever heard the, the, the quote that you become an average of the five people you spend the most time with? I was talking to a young man the other day. Great kid. He said, I don't spend time with anybody. He said, I, I don't spend time with anybody. I just, I'm always by myself. I said, how are you feeling? He said, miserable. I said, that doesn't, that, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because you spend time with yourself and you're miserable. And you spend time with yourself and you're miserable. And you spend time with only yourself and you're miserable. But I got a question for you. The people you hang out with, do they, are, are they calling you up to greater things? Or are they dragging you down? Are they calling you up to greatness? Or are they dragging you down? That's for you to decide. But, but I do know this. Even in the last two weeks, I've had to tell three different people, I really think the next step for you to be fully, completely, and totally alive, fully, completely, and totally yourself, is maybe find a new group of friends. But Paul, Paul continues, he says, look at here, 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 here's what a fully alive life looks like. Here, here's what a life looks like without grave clothes. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, living life from the inside out, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's interesting that Paul refers to it as the fruit of the Spirit, right? Do you see an apple on a tree and you don't go, way to go, apple? You did it. You became an apple. Don't do, you, you, you don't do that, right? Beca because the apple, like, is, is connected to an apple tree. So it becomes an apple. So I want to talk to you about something, and this is so incredibly important. Y you need to stay connected to God. And that's why the first item on this list of the fruit of the Spirit is so drastically important to you and so drastically important to me. Love. 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 You, you, you want to live your life from the inside out? You must feed your soul. And you feed your soul through love. Your eternity is secure, but you can squander your life if you don't feed your soul. You want to see that list play out? Start with love. Feed your soul with love. How do you do that, Mike? I'll tell you, the first thing you do is you receive God's love to you. You receive it. That's why it's so important that every day you spend time in the Bible, in God's Word. Your Heavenly Father wrote you a letter to tell you how much He loves you. Remember I said earlier, who do hateful people hate the most? Themselves. Who do angry people get angry at the most? Themselves. You need to be reminded daily. Listen to a podcast. Open a devotion book. Read your Bible every day. Be a part of a small group. 
meet together with a group of people, remind yourself again, study the Bible again, remind yourself again that he is for you, he loves you. Make church a priority. Because when you, when you come to church, you're dealing with a, with a music team that's been spending weeks praying for you and preparing. You're spending time with someone who preaches the word who's been spending months preparing and praying for you in this moment. I told you this earlier, right? God knows you. God loves you. And as you read his word, as you spend time studying and reflecting on his word, you begin to know him and then you begin to know you. And this is what you're going to realize all of a sudden. You spend time with God, you're going to realize this. You are who he says you are. You don't hate you. Because you're adopted. You're accepted. You're forgiven. You're worth dying for. You are formed for greatness. Your eternity is secure. There is hope for your future. You are loved. Don't let any lie, don't let any label, don't let any voice tell you anything different. You must. This is life and death. Your eternity is secure. That's great. I love it. But your life hangs in the balance. Study the word. Remember, you are who he says you are. So number one, you receive his love. Number two, you return his love. Every day, every day, every moment, every breath is an act of worship. It's an act of gratitude, isn't it? Man, I just want to be grateful. It's awesome to, to, to pray prayers that say, God, help me, help me, help me. But also, I want to live a life that prays prayers of thank you, thank you, thank you, and wow. Like, I don't know if we have tomorrow. Do you understand? But, but I know we have today, so I'm going to be grateful for today. I'm going to be grateful for my family. I'm going to be grateful for my friends. I'm going to be grateful for the air in my lungs and the ground under my feet and the mountains and the forests and the oceans and the trees. I'm going to be so grateful. Man, I, I, I want to I live a life of contagious gratitude. How do I do that? I feed my soul with love. Receive it, return it, and finally reflect it. Love as you've been loved. Love as you've been loved. Hateful people hate people. Love people? Love people. And it's not like I'm saying, man, be a good boy, boy scout and help that lady across the street. No, what I'm saying is your life depends on this. As you love, you will be loved. As you help, you will be helped. As you seek to understand, you'll find understanding. As you bring joy, you'll receive joy. You want, you want to know what a life without grave clothes looks like? It looks like a life of love and joy. The second item on the list is joy. Joy is a soul-level happiness that goes deeper than even outward circumstances, and I know that's easy to say and it's tough to do. It kind of means come to this conclusion in my life, kind of come to this conclusion in your life that God's painting a masterpiece with my life. And you know what? It's not always paint by my numbers. Let me say that again because you need to remember it's not always paint by my own numbers. But when I feed my soul with love, I all of a sudden get to this point of trust. 
that I know it's beautiful. The third item on the list is peace. You're going you're gonna to see a life of peace. When, the, when those grave clothes start to drop off, you're going to see a life of peace. And there's a song that the band sang earlier that to me speaks to peace better than I ever could. It's called Great is Thy Faithfulness. Listen to this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All, all I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That's peace. I sometimes think we live in a culture that wants to be happier than happy. You know what I mean? We want to be more content than content. We want to be contenter than content. We want to be richer than rich. Instead of that peace that says, you know what, God? You are with me, and you are for me, and everything I need, you will and have provided. Kindness, goodness, patience. Again, not to be a good, well-behaved Boy Scout, but man, I look around, and if I see kindness and patience and goodness start to manifest itself in my life, I realize those grave clothes are dropping off. Faithfulness. Man, I, I am who I say I am. What you see is what you get. If I tell you I'm for you, I'm for you. If I tell you I'm with you, I, I'm with you. Faithfulness. You're going to see gentleness in your life. The other day I was talking to my 25-year-old son, Lucas. He said, Dad, I don't know about that fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. I don't really want to be gentle. It doesn't sound, you know, and I said, oh, yeah, yes, oh, yes, you do. You know what gentleness means? It means strength under control. Don't you love that? Strength under control. It means we're teachable. We're teachable, too. I think we live in a society where a lot of people want to be right, but not too many people want to get it right. You won't believe what happened the other day. I was driving in my car, and Samuel was sitting in the back seat. You know what he said to me? You're not going to believe this. He said, Samuel, my, my grade 9 son Samuel says, uh, LeBron James is the GOAT. You know what the GOAT means? Greatest of all time. He said LeBron James is the GOAT. <laughs> so I grounded him for two months. And after I grounded him for two months, I said, no, he's not. What are you talking about? MJ, Michael Jordan is obviously the GOAT. He said, no, LeBron's the GOAT. I'm like, what are you talking about? You've never even seen MJ play. What are you talking about? And I got all worked out and I worked up and I thought to myself, that's our culture. There you go. Argue about something unprovable with this desperate desire to be right with no desire to get it right. Gentleness. Take a breath. Listen. Listen. Learn. As you do, you'll see the grave clothes dropping off of your life. And I want to end with this. Self-control. See, I'm convinced that if you're a Christian here today, your eternity is secure, but you can squander your life if you want. But when you feed your soul with love, the next thing you know, you're going to be living the life that you were born to live, becoming the person you were 
transformed to become, and you're going to see all these things, and you're going to see self-control. Self-control is an interesting one because people say, well, does that mean I won't lose my temper? You've never lost your temper anyway. Every time you got angry, your temper was right where you put it in the driver's seat of your life. It's about more than temper. Does it mean that when I open up a bag of Oreos, I'll eat one instead of 27? I don't know. I'm not there yet, but I imagine that maybe one day I'll get there. (laughs) When I was 16 years old, I went with my dad to buy a horse trailer. Which is weird because uh, I had a boycott against horses when I was 16 years old. And the reason I did is because when I was growing up, I had a little sister named Delaine. And when we were really little, like really little, like seven and five, she was two years younger than me, I always wanted a motorcycle, and Delaine always wanted a horse. Okay? So when we were little kids, my parents said, all right, when Mike is 14 and Delaine is 12, Mike gets a motorcycle and Delaine gets a horse. Okay? So growing up, just, man, can't wait to turn 14 and get a motorcycle. It's going to be awesome. So I'm like 13 and three quarters years old. And my uncle Hank took me to the auction market. He was buying and selling cattle, but along with the cattle that day, there was a, a, a litter of German Shepherd puppies. I saw these German Shepherd puppies, and I ran to the payphone. Google it. Okay, so I, and I call, and I, uh, <coughs> I, 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 I called my mom, and I said, Mom, there's these German Shepherd puppies. Please, 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 please. And my mom was so quick. She said instantly, she said, you can have a puppy, but you got to trade it for your motorcycle. <laughs> and I said, done. Done, and I got the puppy. I traded my birthright for a bowl of stew. No, oh, uh, that's Trapper, the real goat. Okay, amazing. I, I never really regretted it, to be honest, but it did frost my flakes when Delane turned 12 and got a horse. Yeah, we can take that down. The hair, the glasses, got it. <laughs> I'm on. Yeah. You betcha. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it was super cool back then. It wasn't. Okay, but anyways, 12 years old, my sister gets a horse, and then another one, and then another one, and then I was living in this neighborhood close to my best buddy Grant, and, and then we moved out further to the country, and they bought a bunch of horses. And I just decided to boycott horses. Didn't want anything to do with them. My dad would say, hey, let's go for a ride. And I'd be like, hey, no, I'm not going to go. But for some reason, when I was 16 years old, my dad went to buy a horse trailer, and I went with him. So we drove into Red Deer, and we were looking on all these lots for horse trailers. And, and finally, um, my dad had this one ad in, in, in the classified ads of the newspaper that there was a, a farmer outside of town that was selling a bunch of stuff. So we went out there, and uh, there, there was a woman there, and, and it turns out that her husband had just died. And she was looking to sell a bunch of stuff off her farm because she wasn't really able, wasn't doing a great job of making ends meet without him, you know? So we walked up to the horse trailer, and my dad says to her, uh, what do, you, what do you want for the horse trailer? And she said, I, I don't really know what it's worth. What does $500 sound like? And I was stoked. Because I knew that horse trailer was worth at least $2,500. And I'm Dutch too, so I'm like, this is the greatest. 
this is fantastic. So she said, does $500 sound good? And I'm standing right beside my dad, and he pulls out the checkbook, and he writes a check for five thousand dollars. And he said, no, that's not right. It's worth more than that. And he handed her the check. So we get in the truck on the way back, and I said, Dad, we're Dutch. So, you know, like, what is, I'm just kidding. I love, I, well, anyways, uh, I said, I said, what, why did you do that? He didn't say much. He just said, because it was right. That's self-control. Doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. Even when it's not easy. So I got this notion. Man, I want to, I want to, I want to live. I want to live. I want to be the me that God created me to be. But the truth is, as a Christian, your eternity is totally secure. But you could still squander your life. So I've got to lose your grave clothes. Let's pray. God, I pray over every single person here, every, every single person watching online. God, I pray that you would give us a vision of us, that we are who you say we are, that we are accepted, that we are adopted, that we are forgiven, that we are formed for greatness. God, I pray against every lie. I pray against every label. I pray against every voice coming against every person in this room, that we would not believe the words that would cause us to hate ourselves or be angry with ourselves, but instead we would see ourselves as you do. That we would be people of love, that we would be people of hope, that we would be people of joy. And God, I would pray that we just live lives of worship, you know? God, give us a heart of gratitude as we walk out of here. Let's be thankful. God, give us a heart of gratitude for the, for the family that you've given us, for the friends that you've given us, for lunch, for the air that fills our lungs, that we would just live with this contagious gratitude. And God, finally, I pray that we would reflect your love to a world that desperately needs to know that there is more than this. We love you. And we're thankful. In your name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia. For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.